0: You guys happy to be here? Woo! I am too. You guys believe God's going to speak to us tonight? Okay, I do too. All right, um, for those of you who are new, uh, either last week or this week, I want to tell you something that I believe, like Christopher said with my whole heart, I believe that some of you guys, uh, what happens tonight will be... Um, something that you, you can't know it right now, but I believe five, ten years you're going to look back and go, man, this was a night that God did something. Um, I believe what God's going to do tonight in some of y'all's hearts is going to be life-changing. And the reason I believe that is because that is what happened for me. Um, when I was a scrawny little 18-year-old freshman, you'll get to see a picture later. Don't put it up yet, Grace. But you'll get to see a picture of me. I don't look anything like me. Um, Well, kind of, I guess. But um, when I was an 18-year-old little punk freshman, I walked in to my first rally. um, And, guys, I mean, it it changed my life. Um, It really did change my life. Uh, For those of you who don't know, I grew up as a Catholic. Any other Catholics? Oh, let's go. Awesome. Thank you, guys. You're here. Uh, I grew up Catholic. If you've never been to a Catholic mass, if you've never been to a Catholic service, it is vastly different than what goes on here. And so um, here I am, this little 18-year-old kid. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have any hard feelings toward the Catholic Church. I don't have any, like, issues, you know, like, oh, man, I'm just so bitter. But honestly, my experience growing up for the first 18 years of my life was that I knew, like, when to stand up and when to sit down. Like, I knew when to say things and what to say. I knew when I was, like, it was okay to leave early, which is, like, after you take communion, you just, like, you're walking back to your seat and then you just leave the building, right? Like, you got the most important part. I knew all these things, right? And if you would have asked me, I would have readily said, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I know John 3.16. Um, but in all honesty, I didn't know God. I didn't know anything about God. I didn't know His Word. I didn't, I didn't know God at all, right? Um, And I was a Christian in name only. And so I walk into my first rally kind of like this. And the first thing I notice is there's really loud music, right? And there's a full band and the songs are upbeat and people are clapping. And like my only experience was that we literally sang the book of the Psalms, okay? Like, there's like those, (laughs) if you read them, they don't even rhyme. And they didn't try to make them rhyme. Like you're just singing a song that doesn't rhyme, right? Right. Um, another thing I noticed was, like, the guy that was giving the message, I mean, I was, like, moved, I was laughing, I was engaged, and my only experience was an elderly priest who kind of maybe talked for, like, max 10 minutes that wasn't, like, the rituals and stuff, right? Um, but the thing most of all, okay, the thing that got me most of all was as there was the worship, as there was the songs. I looked around the room, and there was all these people, like 18, 19, 20-year-olds, and they had their hands up in the air, and they're singing these songs, and I thought, man, they are weird. Truly, I thought that. I was like, these people are weirdos. Why are they doing this, right? Um, And so I'm sitting in the back. I'm a back row butthole. I'm sitting there. I'm kind of judging people. And then the sermon happens, and I kind of moved, and then the worship happens. And I I can remember it as clearly as, like, as you hear my voice coming through this. I remember this voice. I don't know if it was the Lord or myself, but I looked around, and I saw all these people with their hands up again. And then I realized, wait a second, like like 80% of the room is, like, hands up, singing like this. And I thought, they know something that I don't know. And I want to know what they know. And what it was was they, they knew God. They knew Jesus, right? And it's sick. I mean, it was like a month later. I, it kind of clicked, and I was like, oh, like they walk with God, and I don't, and I want to. And it was really, really cool. And so, you know, I, I mean, I, I say this because I'm like, it would have been really easy as like an 18-year-old freshman walking into this room, and it's so different than anything I ever expected. To just run away, right? Um, it would have been really easy to be like, I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense. My context makes no sense for this. But I didn't run away, and I'm really glad I didn't. That was 12 years ago, dating myself, okay? 12 plus 18. You can, y'all are college students. You got it. What I found out was that my expectations of what it meant to be a Christian as a college student was so totally unlike what, what I thought, right? Like I had an idea of everyone's just going to kind of be like me. And then I saw someone that was so radically different, but normal, right? And I said, I want what they have. And it's so cool because as I've walked with God, I realized that he is very similar, that we have these expectations of God. We have these ideas of God that so often we're like, man, this is the way he is. And then we, we kind of learn who he really is, And it's not what we thought, right? Charles kind of alluded to this last week. You know, we say things like, oh, God is kind, God is loving, God is just, God is, you know, He's good. But the Bible does say that those things, but if if we're filling it in with like, well, my idea of good or my idea of kind or my idea of loving, then we might actually be disappointed or, or maybe a little caught off guard when we see how God actually is, right? Does that make sense? Cool. So, it's really cool. What we're going to do for the next three rallies, this week and then the next two rallies, is we're going to be looking at um, some – the Bible talks about God. It describes him in titles or, or roles, right? And there are actually three, the most common, the most, the most like prevalent throughout from, from front to back of how God is described. We're going to look at those with this kind of lens of, okay, maybe I have an expectation of what God is like but I want to see what he says he's like. And so, these three most common ways God reveals himself is as a king, as a father, and as a friend. Now, king is by and far the most like. This is the way God. And, and you, you might also see it in the Bible as Lord, right? King or Lord. It is like like if you were doing a little like graph chart, like it is number one, like way up there, right? And so, tonight... We're going to look at the most common way God reveals himself, which is as a king. Okay? Y'all cool? Y'all, y'all good with that? Sweet. Um, I would say it's probably safe to guess that almost everyone in this room is an American. Yes? Is there any international students? You're not international. George, you're not either. You're just mixed. Okay. Everyone is an American. Yes? Everyone's an American? Okay. So, as Americans... I think, um, I think we have a hard time, like, thinking about kings. Uh, we, we, it's just hard for us to conceptualize, like, having a rule. Like, a president's not a king, okay? Like, you can live your whole life without ever really being affected by a president. You, you might think that you can, not but, but you'll be okay for the most part, right? But when we think of kings, I think a lot of times we kind of, like, as Americans, we just jump to the worst. We jump to this guy, this first guy right here. Maybe oh you can't uh, Cusco you guys know Cusco and for his new groove like absolute just I mean his story's great look there's like redemption in that story it's incredible so I guess but who he is at the beginning the next guy there's no redemption for him Lord Farquaad, you guys know him um, like Christopher I'm kind of scared to say his name it's a little too close to something um, or or the worst of them all King George from Hamilton yes you guys seen Hamilton. Okay, yes, King George, though, but this guy is based, those two are fake, okay? This guy's real. King George was the worst, okay? And I'm pretty sure that all Americans in their, like, genetic, like, makeup, their genetic memory, we remember King George, and we go, we don't like you, and we don't like kings, right? Like, as Americans, it's really, really hard for us to want to bow to, to, to any king. Like, you don't tell me how to live my life, Right? And and it's really, honestly, it's not an American thing, this idea of, like, I don't want to bow to anyone. That is, a, that is a human thing, okay? Like, if we're honest, there is something in all of us that says, I don't want to bow. I want to be the master of my own life. I want to be the ruler of my own destiny. I want to be the one who determines everything that goes on in my life. But simple logic just tells us that there cannot be two kings on a throne. So... If we're talking about God as a king, and and we want to be the king of our life, well, honestly, only one person can actually be king. Only one person can rule. You cannot be king of your life and also say that God is king of your life. Now, if you don't want to say that God is king, that's fine, right? Then you can try to run your own life. It's not going to turn out very well. Spoiler. But you cannot have two. There can't be two presidents. There's never been two popes. There's never, it's never a good ship to be on if there's two captains, right? Like someone is the ultimate king. And in this situation, there's one person who's the king of our heart. It's either Jesus or something else. And so, it's funny. Someone has to be the king of kings and the lord of lords. And and the Bible describes Jesus as that, as the king of kings, as the lord of lords. And you know, we're going to kind of get to it in just a little bit, but whether you want to acknowledge that he is, whether you don't want to acknowledge that he is, it doesn't really change the fact that he is, okay? And I don't see that to be mean or anything like that, but but there is a reality that there is someone that is king of all, okay? There's someone that is king of all, and we believe that it is Jesus. And so, it's, it's really cool, um, there we go. So, thinking about this, think about, okay, if Jesus is king, then it kind of begs the question, all right? So, if someone has to be king of my life, why not me? Why not ex famous person? Why not ex religious leader? Like, why Jesus? Why is Jesus worth being king? Why is he worth following as a king, right? Why should we follow God as a king? So, our passage that we're going to look at tonight, it, it seems a little random, honestly, when I was praying. I was like, Lord, what do you want to speak tonight? And he brought this passage to mind. And I was just like, all right, you're going to have to tell me why, because it doesn't make much sense. But I'm so pumped, guys. I believe you're going to walk away like amped with this. And so our pa- our passage tonight, it's, it's a combination of three. I just took, it's the same account in three of the gospels. And so I just kind of melded them together with all the details. So it's going to be on the screen, the references, but it's in Matthew 10, Mark 3, and Luke 6. And this is This is what we're going to read tonight. So it says, Jesus went up on the mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also appointed as apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the lesser, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. Riveting stuff. And names, right? Like, man, so much packed up. I don't know. I don't know about you guys. If you've ever read the Old Testament, there's some passages which just like, <laughs> it's like 15 chapters of just names. And I'm just like, well, God. At least God knows their names. I don't, you know. Um, So what's going on here, right? What's going on in this passage? So we obviously see it says that Jesus was praying, okay? And what's interesting to note is it it doesn't say that Jesus is, like, at the campfire, like, just in his tent praying, right? Like, it doesn't say, like, like, hey, guys, I'm just going to go, like, stand over there and pray, like, with the disciples. It says that he went onto a mountainside, okay? Which, I mean... Honestly, it kind of communicates that he, he wanted to be alone. Like, he didn't want distractions. He didn't want, you know, anyone around. What he was going to do was so important that he needed to not just be alone, but he, he climbed a mountain, right? Like, that's not, a, that's not a small thing that you do, right? Um, and then on top of that, we noticed that the Bible also, it doesn't say that he prayed for, like, 20 minutes or, like, an hour. Like, it wasn't his morning devotion, Right? It says that he prayed all night long, which is, honestly, for me, I, I don't know if I've, actually, I think maybe I've put, like, one all-nighter in my life, and it wasn't even for school, but, I mean, have you, okay, who's done, who's had any all-nighters yet? Anyone? Oh, no, no, this semester, this semester, what the, you guys are crazy, well, you work all night, that's not fair, that's not fair, but that is true, you were up all night, guys, Listen. If you've ever done an all-nighter, okay, it's like one of a couple of reasons. You were playing video games, and you lost track of time, right? Really easy to stay up on. It's like, oh, it's light outside. Oops. Or you've got like a test, and what are you living off of? Energy drinks. Coffee. Yes. Like, you're forcing yourself to stay up, right? Jesus didn't have coffee. He didn't have video games. What was he doing? He was praying. And I love praying, but if I tried to pray at night, I'm going to fall asleep. Like, Anyone else? Am I Okay, maybe I'm the only one. You guys are much holier than me. Jesus is determined to seek God and to talk about, talk about something so important that he has to go on a mountain and stay up all night, right? And so that begs the question, what was he praying about? What was he praying about? In, in the kind of cursory reading of the passage, it just tells us he went to pray about which disciples he would call to be his apostles. We could be done with that and kind of walk on, but, but I actually believe there's something so much more that Jesus is praying for this moment. Yes, he's praying for these 12 guys, but he is praying for something so much more. Jesus was praying about the very thing that he had come to earth to accomplish. God took human form and he came to earth and he was praying about the most important thing that he would ever do in history. Okay, that's not a small statement. The most important thing Jesus would ever do, he was praying about that. Luke 19.10 says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was praying about his mission to save the world. Okay, and I don't, I, we hear that, we got the Avengers movies, we kind of have this like, oh yeah, like fighting off aliens or, you know, some existential threat. No, Jesus was literally coming to save the world from their sin. The king of the universe, he had one goal in mind: to save his lost people. All of God's people had rebelled against him. He's their rightful king. He has always been our rightful king. And then through our sin and selfishness, we rebelled. We've become enemies. We've run away from him and said, We don't want you. We were separated, lost, enslaved, rebellious. And Jesus came to rescue us, to find us. to to win us back to him when we don't deserve it. And in this mountain, or on this mountain, he's praying about 12 guys. But he's praying about how he's going to save the world. And what I mean by this is that his mission to save the world started with these 12 guys. Okay, I'm not, if you're a Christian, I'm not making light of the cross, okay? The cross I would say is the means by which God accomplishes salvation. We would not be here. We would not be able to walk with Jesus, to walk with God, if Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise again. That's the means by which he accomplishes salvation. But the method that God uses to change the world is people. God's method for saving the world is through his friends. Okay? God's method for, cha- for saving the world is through his friends. And this is why Jesus spent an entire night praying. These 12 men, they were the beginning of his plan to save the world. This is what we call discipleship. These 12 guys, they were Jesus' small group. They were his small group. And do you know what they did? What they were taught by Jesus was to go and build their own small group. And then those guys went and built their own small group. And on and on and on until you and I are standing and sitting in this room right now, we can trace our lineage back to those 12 guys who Jesus prayed for on that mountain. Every one of us. Jesus spent the whole night praying because these 12 guys would save, be be the means, the method by which he would save the world. So who are they, right? Like who, who are these 12 guys? Maybe you've grown up, you've heard about them, we've got, like, caricatures. Like, if Jesus picked them to save the world, like, who are they, right? You you would imagine, I, I mean, at least I would, like, if I was tasked with picking an elite team to save the world, like, I'm only going to pick the best of the best. I want some Marines, some Navy SEALs. I want some, like, hackers. Who? Raw? Oh, yeah, let's go. Uh, I want, I just want people who are going to, like, we're going to do this, right? So who does he pick? Well, first off, let's start with uh, these four guys. He picks these four guys who were essentially high school dropouts who went on to become fishermen, right? Their names are Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Peter, if you know anything about him, he is mostly known for being impulsive. He gets a really bad rap. He's the guy who talks all the time, says what comes to his mind first. Usually putting his foot in his mouth. He also says a lot of good things, but he is, like, impulsive, and he is just always, like, he he's thinking about the words after he said them. I, I relate with him. Often I say things, and then after the fact I go, man, I shouldn't have said that, right? Um, some of y'all are laughing. You have a quote list of it. Uh, Andrew, his brother, he is pretty much... The only notable thing about him is that he brings other people around. He's not that interesting. He's just like, hey, you, you can come, like, you know. And um, he, he's just kind of a quiet guy who's good at inviting people, right? James and John, um, very quickly after you introduced them, they're called the Sons of Thunder because they wanted to call down lightning from heaven to kill people that just kind of made a passive insult, right? Like like passionate, violent, angry young men, Okay. Then you've got next up is Matthew, also likely a high school dropout, right? Like, he, but, but he not only, like, he finished, like, junior high and then kind of was like, you know what, I'm really smart, I'm going to go and do something else. And he picked probably the worst profession you could have ever picked, like, worse than, like, cleaning the toilets. He chose to be a tax collector, okay? I know that doesn't sound that bad to us, although I don't like paying my taxes, this dude, though, he, he sold out his own people to work for their mortal enemy and then bled his people dry by, and, and was like, hey, if you don't pay your taxes, I'm going to send the, the Romans after you. Like, he was the most hated, most vile guy to all of the Jews, and Jesus picked him. Or you've got Simon the Zealot, who probably also left home as a young man to join what is essentially a cult um, the Zealots, they seem really cool. They're these dudes that literally, like, trained in caves, like, work their bodies into, like, weapons. Were re- they, their whole point was that they thought Jesus was going to be a political, like, warrior. And so, they're like, we're going to kill for the Messiah. Like, this was this dude. Like, he spent his whole life honing his body to be a weapon, right? And Jesus picks him. You've got up oh, two more guys. You've got Philip and Thomas. Um, they're both known for mm, kind of, like, one thing. Philip is known for... He's called, he says it's a man without guile, which just kind of means, like, he says exactly what he thinks, both the good and the bad. So if you've ever met someone like that, it's like, hey, man, you maybe should have kept that thought in your head, you know, or, oh, that was really nice. Thank you. And then Thomas, he's known for being the guy that doubted Jesus, okay? Like, they all said, oh, Jesus rose from the dead. And he's like, I don't believe it. I don't believe you guys. I don't think he did. It's like, bro, we saw him. It's like, I don't think he did. Uh, Not until I see him, right? Like, that's what he is most remembered for. Next up, we have Judas Iscariot, maybe the only guy that got, like, advanced schooling. But if you know him, his story didn't turn out that well. Uh, He betrayed Jesus. Just not a great ending for him, right? And then last off, we round off the group with three guys named Bartholomew, James the Lesser, which just means, like, small James, and Thaddeus. Who For all intents and purposes, if you took the Bible as is, there is no information about them other than their names. Jesus had three essential nobodies, right? These are the 12 guys Jesus picked. These are the 12 guys Jesus prayed for. I mean, it feels like the scene in the movie, like I don't know what movie, but I just, maybe it's a generic movie in Sean's head. Where it's like, all right, guys, like the music's pumping. It's like Rockman's like, we're going to go assemble the team. And then instant hard cut. It's like, wah. And then it's just like all the fat, like C team guys, like we're ready. You know, like, like that's what it feels like. Like Jesus is praying for the apostles. And then it's like, these guys, like, all right. Right. Like they're just a bunch of ordinary guys they bickered with each other. They one-upped each other. They argued. They they like they misunderstood Jesus. They were angry and confused and scared and like, I mean, the best way I can I feel like is they they were like a little kid that was on the soccer pitch with Messi and just trying to pretend like they knew what they were doing, right? Like hoping no one would see how unqualified, unskilled, and unprepared they were. And yet, after his night of prayer, these are the guys that Jesus wanted. These are the guys that Jesus wanted. They were unprepared. They were unskilled. They were unqualified. And yet, God still wanted them, and he wants you too. And if there's nothing else you get from tonight, then you have to get this. Take a picture. Write it down. The king of the universe wants you to be a part of what he is doing. The king of the universe wants you to be a part of what he is doing. This mission to save the world, he wants you to be a part of that. It doesn't matter how unqualified or unskilled or unprepared you feel. He wants you to do what he's doing. He will not force you. He will not coerce you. But he invites you to come along with him and his mission to save the world the king of the universe he wants you i mean is that is that not incredible like that's so crazy and you see what i love about god as our king is that he's not he's not this like self-centered entitled god like cusco or or lord farquad lord farquad he's not like these guys right he's not like about building himself up and taking he's not he's not like king george who's like all about destroying and making sure you are a subject of me like he's not a god he's not a king that's forcing us down he he is a king who is wise and good and capable and he has set up his kingdom in such a way that what we do really does affect the success or failure of his mission I, that's a big deal right like god wants you to be a part of it and there might be people who if you don't join in may not ever know but If you do join in, there are people that will know Jesus. I think like the kings in movies and media, even kings that we see in real life, most kings, they're not inviting the lowliest people to come sit in the throne room room with them and strategize. Like most kings, they're not inviting the, the orphans and the beggars to sit at the table with them. And most kings, they're not out on the front lines with the soldiers winning back people from the enemy. But our king is like that. Our king gets in the mud and in the dirt and in the grime with his people. He sits at the table with us. He invites us to be with him. And what I love more than anything about God as our king is that when he invites us, he invites us with all of the, uns- the, the lack of skills, the lack of preparedness, right? Like, all of the stuff that we're like, well, I, I don't have this. I'm not prepared. I don't have the qualifications. He says, come and be a part. First Corinthians 1, 27 through 29, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It doesn't say God chose the strongest and the wisest and the most qualified people. It says he chose the foolish and the weak and the despised, so that anyone who would look at you or me or anyone else would go, man, (laughs) only God could have used a person like that. None of these disciples, they weren't the valedictorians of their high school. They didn't go to Bible school. They weren't the first to be picked by the religious elite. They weren't even the first to be picked by anyone. But they were picked by Jesus. So why? Why does Jesus want them? Why did? Je- what did Jesus see in them that no one else could see? And what does he see in you and in me? There's this parable that Jesus teaches... Uh, it's in the Bible, it's called the parable of the talents, and just real quick, it, it's, he tells the story of a rich man who calls three servants together and says, I'm going to give you five talents of gold, I'm going to give you two talents of gold, and I'm going to give you one talent of gold. A talent of gold is like, like a lot, okay, like millions of dollars in today's value, okay, like it's not, a, it's not like he gave him a couple coins, like they gave him a lot, Okay. And so people go, well, the guy got one. That's not fair. It's like, oh, he's still got a million dollars. The other guy just got five million. Like, it's still a lot of money. And so what he says is he says, keep this for me, and I'll come back. And so he comes back, and the first man doubled his money, made it ten. Second guy doubles his money, made it four. Third guy, he just put it in the ground, and he brought it back, and he said, well, I know you're a hard master, and I didn't want to offend you. I didn't want to lose it. So, you know, here, here's what you gave me. And, and the master actually gets mad at him. And the story, that the point that Jesus is trying to make is that you're not con- commended or condemned based on what you're given. You're commended or condemned based on what you do with what you're given. It's not about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have. So what talents did these disciples have? They, They, I mean, they just seemed like Not bums, but they just didn't, they they weren't the cream of the crop. They weren't the guys that I would have picked, right? But Jesus saw something in them. What did he see that made him call them to be his apostles? Let's start off with the fishermen. What do you do with a bunch of fishermen like Peter, Andrew, James, and John, who spent half their life out on the lake learning where, learning how to fish? What do you do with a guy like that? Well, you take those skills that they learned in fishing and you transplant them to discipleship, and you send them to go after the hardest people, the people that, that, that are going to have to take forever, like pouring into, right, the ones that you have to go to the hardest spot to find them where they're at, right? And you use those guys because they know how to find the fish, and they know how to wait well, right? What do you do with a guy like Peter or Philip, both guys who impulsively said whatever came to their mind first, right? You hone their voice, and you empower it with God's Spirit, And like Peter, he led 3,000 people to the Lord in one day because of his preaching. And Philip led essentially like a ruler to the Lord on the side of a road because of his voice. What do you do with a skeptic like Thomas who asks all the tough questions and is kind of remembered for, for being someone who seemingly didn't trust? Well, what Jesus did is he sent him to India. Historically, Thomas went to India the land of a million gods, and he sent him there where he's going to get all the toughest questions, and he had all the answers because he had already worked through them, right? What do you do with a tax collector like Matthew who is hated by everyone and spoken evil of even after he got right with God? You send him to the places where the Christians are most persecuted because he can take it. He's being persecuted for something good now. What do you do with a zealot like Simon who has trained his body and his mind for years to be a lethal killer and now gets right with God? What do you do with him? You send him to the hardest places. You send him over the mountains. You send him through the valleys. You send him across the ocean. You send him where his body can take it and he can bring Jesus to the farthest reaches of the earth. What do you do with the sons of thunder, James and John, who want to call down fire and lightning on people for a small insult? You channel that love and passion for Jesus. And to James, who went on to be the first person to die for Jesus, the first martyr of the 12 disciples. Or John, who wrote five of the books of the Bible. Maybe the most meaningful book to a lot of people in his Gospel of John. And what do you do with a bunch of nobodies like Bartholomew and James, the little, little James, and Thaddeus, who got no recognition other than that they existed? What do you do with these guys? You send them to the places in the earth where no one will remember their name, but heaven will be filled because they made their somebody king known. And what, I ask you, do you think God can do with you? What can God do with your talents? What can God do with your ag degree? What can God do with your love for engineering? What can God do with your future as a nurse? What can God do with your love for working out? What can God do with your business savviness? What can he do with your soccer skills or your video game prowess or your love for medicine or your knack for hospitality, your sympathetic nature? If you like baking, like all the the infinite amount of things that we could have that we're good at, that we're talented, that are skills, what could God do with that? Do you believe our good king wants you and your talents to be a part of what he's doing? Do you believe our king wants you to be a part of what he's doing? Spoiler alert, he does. He wants you to be a part. What other king is like this? What, what other king is there like Jesus? What other king takes off his royal robes and puts on work boots and gets in the dirt with us? Like what other king suits up in armor and straps a sword by his side and fights alongside us? What other king invites 18 and 19 and 20-year-olds? Y'all, like, I think y'all are awesome, but most of the, no one's hiring you to be on their, like, board of advisors. Like, no one wants to hire you until you have a degree, and maybe even then they don't. But the king of the universe wants you to be a part of what he's doing right now. What other king is like this? When I was that 18 year old freshman, you can show the picture. Oh, you can't hardly see it. Ah, the lighting's bad. I'm sorry. That's me on the left. No glasses no long hair, no beard. Somehow my wife thought I was attractive, and I now have a kid, and it was great. I—I um, I, That's the day I gave my life to the Lord. That's September 23rd, 2011. It's awesome. Um, I look very happy because the Lord changed my life. Um, the person I was in that picture is not who I am today, and for a lot of people that know me, sometimes this is hard, especially the the longer you walk with God, it's hard for people to be like, "Oh, you've always been this way." And it's like, "I haven't. I promise you I haven't." I don't know if there's anyone in this room who even more than Heather who knew me before I was saved. But the things that people might say are my skills, or my talents, or my, you know, um, strengths today, almost every one of them was non-existent. Some of them, I would say were probably like latent or like, you know, hidden, and the Lord brought them up, but I actually think a lot of them were just gifts the Lord gave me in time. I think the only thing that I kind of had going for me was that I talk a lot, and I'm really loud, okay? If you know me, yep, some of you are laughing, because that is, Grace says that it makes her ears hurt. My ears hurt. (laughs) Thank you, Grace. That will never die. I wasn't articulate, I wasn't well-read, I wasn't well-spoken, I wasn't a lover of the Bible, I wasn't a hundred other things, okay? I wasn't these things. All I had was a loud voice, and I liked to talk, and now, at this point, I loved God. That's all I had, and God wanted me. And that was 12 years ago, and I'm still a part of what He's doing. I still get to be a part. Of what he's doing every single day. And he wants you to. He sees more in each of us than we can see in ourselves, and he gives us honor and dignity and meaning by inviting us into the most honoring, dignifying, and meaningful thing we could ever do. He is a king on a mission to save the world, and you and I get to be a part of it if we will join. The band can go ahead and come up. As the band comes up, I want to end by telling the story as a as a kind of um, example of how I want us to respond. And so this is a story of a missionary friend of ours. I will, I'm going to change his name. Um, he's in a sensitive country, so we'll call him Joe. Um, Hi, Joe. Uh, we'll call him Joe. Um, so Joe, at one point, was actually a professional soccer player, okay? Like, professional soccer player in a European league played for a well-known team, and played for years. Like, he wasn't a chump. He was playing, right? Um, and so after he kind of gets to the point where he's like, okay, you know, my career, I'm just kind of ending. Like, I'm, I'm getting older. He went on to then start his own business where he was like six-figure business, right? Like, the dude was clearly um, very smart with his business savviness. And then one day, um, the Lord spoke to him and said, hey, Joe, I want you to serve me. Right. And so, you know, soccer has always been a part of his life. He's got this business now. Like he's coaching. He's he still, you know, watches it and plays on the side. But now God says, Hey, I want you to 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 go and be a missionary, but I want you to go to be a missionary in a country that doesn't want Christians coming here. Right? Like a a, a hard country, a dangerous country. And so he by his own testimony, he was like, Look, I'm unqualified, I'm un I'm unskilled for this. I don't like the food. I don't know the language. I don't know. Any of their culture, God, I I don't have what it takes, and and I remember him saying that there was a night where he was in his bedroom, his wife's off somewhere, and you know he loves soccer, and he wants to be obedient to God, and he and he has this moment where it's just this breaking point moment where he said, Lord, he literally what he is, he held up his soccer ball, he said, God, if I go to this country, I have to give this up. I don't know anything about this. I don't have any skills. The only thing I'm really good at is soccer. And so I want to offer it to you and say, God, do whatever you want with my life. And if it means giving it up, then fine. And he offered this soccer ball as a symbolic act of, God, I'm giving everything to you. And then, now, years later, he is in this country, a a closed country to Christianity, and he teaches soccer— to the police of their country, to uh, government officials. He's literally stood with the leader of their country and embraced him and shaken his hand. They know he's there to evangelize, and they don't care. They just want him to teach their people soccer. And the Lord used his skills, his talents, to bring him into a country where he otherwise would not have been able to get in. God wants to do the same with you guys, with the skills you guys have. Joe's talents for soccer were used to accomplish God's mission. I don't think we think about that sometimes. We think, oh, I like to play soccer. I guess I'll go do Christian things on the side. No, God wants to use the things you're good at, the things that he's gifted you to accomplish his mission. What could God do with your talents if you would offer them to him? So what I want us to do tonight as a response as the worship team's gonna play um, I know it might be different, maybe the, the church you went to, it, this just might be something different, okay? But what I want to ask us to do is similar to what Joe did. And so we would take our hands and we would say, God, this is what I'm good at. This is what I like. And I'm offering it to you for you to use it how you want, okay? And um, if it's something that, you, like, maybe for you you're like, okay, I'm thinking about where's Emily at? Emily Emily is a really good writer. She let me read some of her stuff, and it's powerful. And so, I mean, it's this idea of, like, Lord, this pen is symbolic of the gifting you've given me, and I want to offer it to you. Mark is a freak at volleyball. Like, I know you don't have a volleyball here. Write it on a piece of paper. Or when you go back to your dorm or your apartment tonight, like, Eli's not here. I wish he was. Eli is literally right now playing basketball with guys because he's leading them to the Lord. He's fighting for them. He's talking about them. That's why he's not at rally, but he is doing what we're doing with his, with basketball, right? Like offering that up and saying, God, this is what I'm good at. This is what I like. This is what I'm passionate about. Can you use this? It looks like offering up your ge- video game controller to God and saying, look, I can't reach the video game community. I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't like playing cod, I'm awful at cod. I'm not reaching those guys, but some of you guys actually can like I know that sounds crazy, but you can. maybe some of you guys are good at a sport or your arts and crafts or baking skills or you're 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 a social butterfly, like let the Lord use what He's gifted you. maybe some of you i mean Grace and I were laughing about this like when I came to college, I felt like I had nothing, and so I said, Well, my name is Sean like <laughs> Ryan, if you don't feel like you got anything, I think you do. But you're like, Lord, I don't know what I, I don't know what gifts or talents I have, but I'm giving myself. It doesn't mean you have to go across the globe tomorrow to offer your talents to God, okay? It means asking God to help you to use what you have right now to reach people at WVU. I'm not asking you to, to get on a plane tomorrow. I'm asking you to say, hey, God, this is what I'm good at. This is what I love. These are the giftings you've given me. And I want them to be used for you. And so what I want to ask us to do is to, to literally do that. And look, if you don't have something that could symbol, like, I mean, you guys are in the band. you got a big old tuba. Like, you don't have a tuba here. You don't even have it at your house. Like, but could you offer that to the Lord and say, God, this is something you've given me. And look, it's not pretty. It's not sleek. But, like, just write it on a piece of paper and say, Lord, as a symbol of this to you, I'm going to offer this. And say, I want to be a part of what you're doing. And finally, if you are not a Christian, then I want to invite you to just offer your life. Um, you might have heard this before. People say, well, have you made God king of your life? And that is just a silly question. You don't make Jesus the king of your life. He is the king, and you can acknowledge that, and you can bow, and you can give your life to him. And so I would just encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, if your story is like mine where you came to rally and you go, I thought I knew God, or man, I don't know God at all then would you offer your life to him tonight? So as we respond, want us to do that, to hold out. And don't, you don't have to hold your hands out the whole time. If it's just a moment, say, Lord, I'm offering this to you. And we're going to respond to King Jesus. He is the king who wants us. He is the king who says, I don't care how young you are. I don't care how unqualified you are. I don't care how unskilled you are. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. And I promise you, you will not regret. I, Twelve years down the road, I have never once regretted giving my life to Jesus and giving my talents to Him. So would you respond like that tonight?